Welcome to the Rest and Recovery Podcast. This is a podcast on life's most effective healing tools, rest and recovery, through expert advice, wellness methods, and self-care. Welcome to the Rest and Recovery Podcast. This is about life's most effective healing tools in rest and recovery through expert advice, wellness, wellness methods, All right, well, welcome to an episode of Rest and Recovery Podcast. And with me, I have the honor of having Robert Sebastian. He's the co-founder of Ford, a healthcare startup building the insurance-free healthcare from the ground up. Uh, so, Robert, thanks for uh, taking the time to join with me. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Scott. Looking forward to it. So I, I learned about Ford, gosh, it was a few months back. I don't know if I was searching or, or the, the social feeds got me based on what I was searching. Uh, but started watching videos on what you guys were doing. Uh, and I'm, I'm really fascinated by the model. And I think it's, um, it's brilliant on, on an area that, you know, feels like this, you can't fix it. It's broken. So we just got to keep putting band-aids on the system. Uh, but, you know, not to just, you know, advocate for, for you because you're here, but I mean, it, it really seems like you guys have rethought the model uh, in a couple of ways. So I'm, I'm interested to dig into this. Yeah. Um, I think we would both agree. It sounds like from your comments that there's a lot to improve. Um, and I hope that Ford can be some part of that. Um, it's obviously a massive, um, part of human life, human health, um, and trying to live the longest, best versions of our lives. Um, and yeah, happy to jump in more and explain what Ford's up to and, and how we got yeah. going on this. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, before we get there, like what, what brought you to, this point, because I think when I was looking at your LinkedIn profile, you spent some time with the Mets. Uh, we were talking offline. We're both kind of from that Northeast area uh, for a season. And, uh, you know, you did Moneyball activity, you know, from the movie. So how, how do you go from that to a healthcare company? <laughs> um, yeah, it's a circuitous path, as you can probably imagine, getting from the New York Mets to doing this. But um, ironically, I actually was not a New York Mets fan. Um, I'm from near Philadelphia, so it certainly wasn't uh, a particular passion for the New York Mets. Um, the way I ended up doing Moneyball was I just really, um, I enjoyed uh, math and um, trying to understand and think about how systems work and how they fit together. I had also played a bunch of sports growing up and uh, one of them was I was a pitcher in baseball. And so I had some sort of like connection to the actual like game of baseball itself. And then the really intellectually interesting challenges I thought of how might you try to better evaluate and price and build a baseball team. And I think the thing that maybe it kind of triggered in me was two things. One, um, I, I felt like it was really important to be true to who I was uniquely, not just take a generically good job. It's like, well, this one has elements that seem very unique to me. And I, I kind of liked that aspect of it. Yeah. The second was I really loved being um, sort of a contrarian to how the system has worked up until that point. So for those who haven't seen the, the movie Moneyball, uh, the premise is that there's been a very traditional way of thinking about scouting baseball players and deciding mm -hmm. who was worth paying and how much. And a lot of it was basically done by former baseball players watching the swing plane or watching the arm mechanics or the angle of a pitcher and trying to say, that looks like a beautiful swing. And Moneyball was predicated upon the idea of saying, actually, there's a bunch of data that tells me whether or not that swing results in hits or whether that swing results in runs. 
And so um, I really enjoyed sort of taking a um, counterintuitive approach to a problem and coming up with actually pretty different answers than some of the other folks. Yeah. Um, and obviously that in some ways carries through to my views on healthcare, if you think about it. Yeah. Um, the idea of starting a company is inherently saying, I think that the world is kind of wrong in how they think about or how they go after this problem. Um, I'd love to put my neck out there and try to do it differently and we'll see whether or not I'm right. Um, and in this case, I think the big difference between these two, so the reason I didn't decide to stay in baseball, um, which is obviously uh, what I was doing with the Mets, is I was like, I don't think it fundamentally matters whether or not the New York Mets win the World Series. Like, I think that it's actually kind of a cool way to like bring people together in a time mm -hmm. when there are more ways to be divided and be alone and be isolated. So there is something beautiful about like that parade in a city going down the street. But I don't think it's like the highest calling of how I spend my limited time here in life. Um, and so I started really gravitating more and more towards, um, I wanna build beautiful things that help solve the problems that matter. And I concluded that I didn't think that, you know, sports or baseball was necessarily one of those problems. Um, so back at Google, I was actually working on a bunch of very different things. So this is the last role I had before starting forward. And it's where okay. I met my co-founder, Adrian. We worked on food and agriculture, fresh water, climate change, gender equality, space exploration, transportation, cities, prisons, policing, employment, education. That's where I really felt I found my footing in terms of what the meaning of my life was, okay. not just problems that I thought were interesting, but things that I would be really proud to tell my grandkids I did someday. So anyway, I haven't even really touched on healthcare yet, but that was the uh, evolution, if you will, from some version of me that was having a lot of fun um, working in a baseball front office to eventually finding a way to apply those skills and that mindset to something I think is really meaningful in the world. Well, I, I appreciate that story. And, and I think it's kind of an interesting anecdote in that you never know what portions of your life will then merge into something that will be really fruitful or really align with your passion. Uh, and, and I would pre presume forward is more in line with that uh, based on what you just said, but also just that experience of, of looking at things differently um, you know, it's a great lesson on just that contrarian view, not to be confrontational, but uh, if we're dealing with the same problem over and over again, it's that whole, you know, you keep banging your head against the wall, like, you, you know, you got to kind of change your methods a little bit. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's one of those things where it's like, <clears throat> I look back on some of these, these jobs and these things that I was doing before I eventually started forward. And in some ways, I'm like, man, I wish I could have those years back. And I could just have like, fast forwarded to the end where I was actually working on what I see as my life's work. And some part of me like wishes for that, but the more sort of mature side of me is like, they informed who I am. And I really can't kind of like regret any one of those things. Um, I just have to look at them as having created this uh, set of experiences and um, sort of like, uh, I don't know, yeah, life experiences that led me to do what I do now. So I, I don't regret that time. Um, I've evolved a lot since then, but, um, but yeah, a lot of these things teach you interesting lessons along the way. Yeah. Yeah. So, so kind of to that point, how, how do you, did you come to that intersection? You're at Google, you know, perceived as one of the, the greatest places to work. And I'm sure again, similar tone of great experience, major projects to kind of deal with, um, you know, life challenges, world global challenges. What precipitated you to go and say, Hey, I want to apply myself to healthcare and then create forward? Yeah. So as you probably gathered from those problems we were working on back at Google, um, I was pretty picky about what I would work on. And in particular, the common thread I saw amongst <clears throat> the 10 things I said back at Google is um, I really just care about three things and what I work on in life. Um, I want to know this problem is massive. 
So before I even get started, could I imagine serving the entire world someday? Or am I destined to serve some lucky people in Washington, DC and San Francisco? Cause like no offense to either of us, but like, that's not what motivates me. I wanna know there's a chance we will serve billions before I'll even start working on it. If the problem is massive, then I ask myself, is it meaningful? Like, is this even worth solving? And you obviously heard some of that context as I was talking about the Mets versus healthcare or climate change or food. Um, and so I want massive, meaningful problems. And if those two things are true, I look at it and I say, that is a worthwhile problem to solve. That mm -hmm. would be an awesome thing to try to deliver for like the generation after me or the one after that, that would be incredible. Now I ask myself, can humanity solve it? And the way that I, I ask myself this question is I just ask, could I imagine technology completely changing that system? And the reason that's so important to me is because if I don't see technical leverage on a problem, there's like a chance we'll be 10% better someday. The world might be slightly better, but it's not going to be 10 times better. Right. And I know that because the only way humans ever got 10x in all of human history was by applying technology to some deeply technical problem and levering the entire world. Like that's how it's happened since the Stone Age. Yeah. Right? It's called the Stone Age, the Iron Age, and the Bronze Age for exactly the same reason. This is not a Silicon Valley point of view on the world. It's always been true. So all I want is super simple, massive, meaningful with technical leverage. So then to answer your question on like, well, why am I working on healthcare? I looked at healthcare and I was like, this is clearly massive. It's clearly meaningful. Nobody ever debates me on those two things. Right. But the really cool thing that I believe that most of the world is not internalized is that healthcare is going to be wildly better in my lifetime. And I know that because at the limit, it's an informatics problem. And today it's a labor service. And as soon as you tell me that, I'm like, oh my gosh, like everything about this system is wrong, all because we invented a doctor before a computer. If we just right. had foresight that a computer was coming and we'd rebuilt the entire system accordingly, we'd have a wildly better system. And I think that's really important to understand because if you look at the healthcare system that we have today, it's like <laughs> tragically flawed in so many ways. Like we have a healthcare system that's completely backwards. It's incredibly expensive. It's about 20% of US GDP, which means 20 cents out of every dollar you earn in your paycheck are essentially going toward, towards paying for your health. Um, it's a product that looks like it's from the 1970s. Um, and it's one that like is uh, incredibly generic. There's not personalized recommendations for every person. Right. It's incredibly reactive. We're basically waiting for the human body to break down and then we'll yeah. actually try to do something about it. I see a book on the back of your shelf called Sleep Smarter, like those sorts of fundamentals about sleep and exercise and diet and nutrition, the things that actually predict our longevity and happiness in life are not things that the system we have today is actually well suited to solve. So I look at that system. And I'm like, how did we end up with this? When at the same time in the world, we're literally like live streaming video from Mars. We have cars driving themselves around our cities. Yeah. Like we have all human knowledge ever created in our pockets every second of our lives. If I'd known all those things were coming, there's no way I'd settle for the system that we have today. And so that's what got me excited about the chance that I think healthcare can be massively better someday. And so um, that's what sort of led me down the path to create it forward. Um, if it's helpful, I'm happy to explain a little bit about what Forward does. I know that everyone on this uh, podcast may not be familiar with it, um, but that's the sort of inspiration for me of why I think this is one of the very few problems that's worth um, worth spending a big chunk of my life on. Well, you know, uh, not that you need my concurrence, but I completely agree. Uh, you know, it, it's backwards, but, you know, it served a purpose for a season, but we've certainly outgrown it in, in many, many ways. Uh, and to your point, it's, it's been the cart ahead of the horse kind of process. Uh, and, and, you know, if you try to even talk about some of the things that you're talking about, you get pushback, like, no, that's not what we do. And then, you know, you've got 
you know, scores of people with chronic disease, that's just lifestyle based uh, that you're kind of touching on. So uh, yeah, I mean, touch on, touch on Ford. Yeah. Um, and, and kind of what it is. I saw my first uh, storefront in Boston. I was in there last weekend. Uh, so I didn't cool. get to see anything that was closed at the time, but saw my first storefront. So I was excited about that. Um, that's great. Yeah, glad. Uh, it's surprising actually because we have uh, we have one in Washington D.C. as well. So you've got one a little okay. close. It sounds like you're based. Um, the Boston one is opening soon, so that's why it wasn't open yet. Cool. Um, so so yeah, as context for for those that are newer to Forward, Forward is a national technology company um, that's uh, basically combining the best of top doctors and advanced technology to try to rebuild all of healthcare. And so we we use doctors and technology to try to give you personalized data-driven, insurance-free healthcare. Um, and so we have dozens of locations around the country. We have physical doctor's offices, and obviously Scott alluded to, to one of them there. Um, we, have, uh, we hire doctors and nurses who then are sort of paired with technology to help kind of understand you, your body, and how it's changing and get in front of the issues that really matter. Um, so that's uh, sort of the context and what Forward is today. And if you think about it, like everything that I'm saying is certainly true of the US healthcare system. Um, but like inadequate, expensive healthcare is a global crisis. Like this is something that happens ever in the world. And frankly, in some ways, we're very lucky to have the problems we have in healthcare. There are places that are far worse off. 100%. And so our mission for our company longer term is I want to uh, build the world's first uh, healthcare system for billions of people for free. And so that's kind of where we see this going over time. Um, and the, we have a great start in terms of the locations and the members that we're serving all around the country today. So when you say for free, like you want it to be a free service in some way, shape or form. Yes. That's the, oh, wow. That really is. Now you just double down. That's like, that's like you put all the cards in the table in the center or the chips in the center of the table with that one. That is correct. Yes. So, so how are you leveraging technology kind of to your point on, you know, if we only knew, well, now we have technology. What is it that you're building kind of from the ground up and leveraging the technology and getting to that, <clears throat> as you stated, the personalization, which has been a major gap, right? I mean, most of healthcare has been, you've got these ranges, they're massive ranges, like, you know, like testosterone, it's like 200 to 1100. And you're like, oh yeah, you're healthy. Well, are you sure? Um, and so how are you guys going about that with leveraging that technology to get there? Yeah. I mean, if you think about, um, I mean, one way that might be kind of fun to talk about this is like, imagine for a second that you're, you're a human doctor. And by the time we go through this, I think you'll have a sense of what are some of the opportunities for improvement. So imagine you're my doctor for a second. You have tons of flaws and none of them are your fault. You can't be with every human in the world at once. It's actually a massive problem. You can't see inside of my body. That's another huge problem. Like there's all kinds of things happening inside of here that you should understand, but you can't. And then um, uh, like you can't see what I do for my day-to-day -day life, which mm -hmm. is like everything outside of the five minutes here, I'm in your doctor's office. You don't see how I eat or how I sleep or how I exercise or how I love. You see basically nothing that determines human health. And even if I waved a magic wand, it was like, you know what? Don't even ask how I got it, but here's all that data you were just looking for. Good luck. You don't have the compute to handle it. It's a massive data science problem. And even if I solve all of those issues, you're still expensive and you don't scale. Every amazing human who has ever lived is the incorrect building block for healthcare. And so if you think about all those sort of problems that one might try to solve, now let's ask what could technology do to help out? And I want to be clear, like what we're building is the best of humans and technology. I'm not saying no humans. I'm saying give them the tools that they deserve to try to solve this incredibly hard problem because no human alone is up for this task. Right. 
But then you start thinking about, okay, well, I wish, I wish technology could help me be way more proactive. Like what if I could use technology to actually identify issues incredibly early or identify, let's say what my genetics teach me about my possible future. That would be a really great way to apply technology to improve health for somebody. Then you can imagine saying, well, okay, I need some like insights. What should I actually do? So we do real-time labs, we do genetic testing, we do connected sensors, and we read all the data from your Fitbit or from like the sensors in your bed mm -hmm. or the scale in your home. We take all this data and we try to generate personalized insights. It doesn't matter what I would say for a generic person of your age and gender and ethnicity. What really matters is what does Scott need specifically in this moment to live a longer, better version of his life? To do that, you need tons of personalized data. And then obviously you need a way to try to like calculate what matters and what doesn't. So that's another way in which technology can be helpful. And then even if I identified some like really important thing for you to work on, I'm not just going to cross my fingers and say, see you in a year. I hope you're doing okay. Right. I want to actually follow you home and support you throughout your day-to-day -day life to make these changes. So we created what we think of as are called uh, doctor-led programs. And these basically allow us to work on things like heart health or on cancer prevention or on um, uh, you know weight loss, any number of possible programs. And these allow you to have 24 seven access to your plans that you created with your doctor. You can communicate with our team anytime. We're there supporting you through the ups and downs of the inevitable journey that it is to get yourself to you know, a better place on any one of these things you say you wanna work on in your health. So technology allows you to support somebody in their day-to-day -day life, which is ultimately where human health happens. And then finally, um, we, uh, we're insurance free. And, you know, I talked about this before, this idea that we charge a membership fee um, and ask our members to pay us directly uh, in exchange for never having to work with insurance. And I can kind of expand on this for a second, but what I would say is the key insight is if you take healthcare off of a labor cost curve, which is, by the way, how healthcare went from 4% to 20% of US GDP in the last 40 years, that's crazy. Like that's on, that's on a sort of trajectory to bankrupt us as a country and each of us as individuals. Um, that's what happens when you apply labor to a product. So this is known as bomb oils cost disease, the idea that okay. labor provided services get more expensive over time. I'm saying let's take as much of this as we can, especially the rote repetitive things that I don't need a brilliant human for, let's put it on the technology. Technology doesn't go like this, it goes like this. This is Moore's law. This is why like your TV is so much cheaper than it was 20 years ago. Why a smartphone went from a toy for rich people to $30 on the streets in Bangladesh. Like that is the evolution of technology products over time. And so um, those are a bunch of the ways in which you can imagine technology being really important to this, uh, this like world that I wanna build towards. It helps you give way higher quality care uh, at a far lower price to more and more people in the world who have no access to a labor driven system today. Yeah, I mean, and that's always scratched my head. You mentioned the four to 20% on why it's gotten so exponentially more expensive. And then to the point of um, eliminating insurance. <laughs> anyway, I'll, I'll be, I'll be tactful. Anyway, it just seems like a model that's not appropriate. And, but, but you're, you're using kind of the financial model of the subscription based approach rather than paying over here for a little bit to get access over here, but then have to pay for the service as you go. It's just one and done. And then you can just keep showing up. And it, I started thinking about this. It seems like it makes sense because if our backend costs are so high and you're working on the day-to-day, -day, you're kind of amortizing everything for everybody. So there is no like spike as you get older, right? I'm going to theoretically be a very active 95-year-old, which mm -hmm. is my goal. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, uh, so I agree with a bunch of the things you said. There's probably a couple of different paths we can go down. One is, uh, you know, obviously I'm taking a stance in terms of how I think forward should be paid. So let's mm -hmm. talk a little bit about that because I think it's actually really important to understand. So um, you had asked me kind of, why did I get excited about healthcare? Why did I work on this problem? I basically came to two conclusions as to why healthcare was so wrong. One is it's the wrong product. And obviously I talked to you a bit about that. I was like, just imagine we'd invented a computer before a doctor, I'm sure we'd have something different. So that's clearly one avenue we're going down. But then the other one is it's the wrong incentive. Mm -hmm. If you ask me why we have the wrong product, if you ask me how it's gone from 4% to 20%, if you ask me why healthcare lets us down at every turn, I would have said it's because it's the wrong incentive. In fact, it's the dumbest incentive of any industry I've ever worked on. And I've worked on like 20. So it's like, okay, that's pretty bad. Um, let me explain why I think it's so bad, because if you think about it, it's like the main model in the United States is what's called fee-for-service insurance, and that's actually the main model around the world, depending on um, the different people will pay, but in the end, they're saying, do a task, and you will generate a bill, and I will pay you for that bill. Well, if you think about it, that means a doctor is not paid for satisfaction or quality or outcomes. Mm -hmm. They're paid for actions from a billing code from an insurance company, and I'm like, Oh no, this insurance company literally doesn't care. Uh, like, like if Scott dies of a heart attack someday, this is a completely unethical business model. Yeah. And I say this thing about, you know, not caring whether you die of a heart attack someday. I don't mean to be like overstating it. It's true. Health insurance companies do not care if you die of a heart attack someday. And if you think about it, they're totally correct because they're like, listen, I do think you're going to die of a heart attack or cancer someday. Statistically speaking, that's correct, but it's not going to happen in the next two and a half years. It's going to happen in like 25 or 50 years, right? Right. So look, on average in the United States, somebody stays with their employer and thus their insurance on average for two and a half years. So as an insurance company, they have no incentive to try to prevent that heart attack. They're like, for the next two and a half years, the only cost that I'm going to bear are if you don't show up at work and your employer get, gets annoyed at me. So let's deal with your rash. Let's deal with your cold. Let's yep. deal with like getting your flu vaccine so that you can make sure you show up at work for another two days this year. And they're like, they spend all this time and effort on those things. And when's the last time they, like, who's the last person you know who died of any of those things that I just said, a cold, a flu, or a rash? Most people don't know anybody. Right. Okay, who's the last person you know who died of cancer or heart disease or like diabetes? Tons of people. Those are the actual things that matter in life. And those but are the things that are skyrocketing too from a, oh. from a negative trajectory. Yeah, totally. And it's like, well, the insurance company is correctly saying those matter, but not on my time horizons. So they kick the can down the road on the stuff that truly matters. They don't ask you to sequence your genome. They don't ask you to radically change your diet or your exercise to live a longer, better version of your life. They don't invest in any of the things that like you should care about. If you, Scott, are asking, how would I live the longest, best version of my life? Be incredibly active at the age of 95. They'd have no incentive to help you with those things. Right. And as soon as I realized that, I was like, well, this is pretty annoying, but I've got to cut the ties with that business model. There's no way to build this aspirational future of healthcare if insurance is telling me what to do. So that's why we ask our members to pay us directly, because I think it's the only ethical business model I can come up with. It holds my feet to the fire. If we build a bad product, we die. If we build an amazing product, we live. And that ultimately is how you build truly great products over the course of decades. It's not by having some financial middleman tell you what to do. It's having your consumers tell you directly what they value and you demonstrating time and time and time again, I can get in front of the issues that truly matter and help you specifically live the life you want to live. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, that's awesome. I, like, I'm so encouraged by what you're doing. Uh, and it, it's things that personally I've, I've rattled my brain about obviously not come up with a solution you did. Uh, but it's like, you know, it, it, the system is backwards where it, it relies on sickness to occur. 
it's dependent on it. And that's, that's the financial model. And it just seems uh, back ass words uh, to, uh, to put it lightly. Um, how do you see, you know, this evolution, like what, what's the experience like going in and leveraging the different technologies to get to that prescriptive approach for me or the individuals that, that might attend? Yeah, so I'll give kind of um I'll give a description of how the product works. The first thing I'll say is I know I can't do this justice. <laughs> I've tried this like a bunch of times, and then I show someone the product and like, oh my gosh, I had no idea how amazing this was. Also, you're very very bad at explaining this. So I'll start <laughs> with that. Um, but basically, the way this works is um, you sign up for Forward, and the first thing we'll do is bring you in for what we call a baseline. So the reason a baseline is important is because if you think about it, I don't want to see you when you're sick, or at least I do, but that's not enough. I want right. to see you when you're healthy. Come in today. Let me see the state of your body and like how things like what's your, uh, I don't know, blood work telling me, what's this body model telling me, what's the data about your day-to-day -day life telling me today when you're healthy and when you're feeling good. So that as things change and as you evolve over time, I've got a baseline to compare it to. So to do that baseline, you're gonna literally, let's imagine you signed up for the location in DC, which sounds like it's the closest one for you. Um, you'd go into this physical location in Washington, DC. It's a beautiful doctor's office. We've got a bunch of doctors and medical assistants that work there. You walk in and check yourself in at an iPad. You're not gonna wait like standing in line for a receptionist to get a piece of paper. You gotta fill out every time you come in. We know who you are, we know why you're there. And we've got a playlist that generates automatically and says, here's what we're gonna cover today, Scott. And the first thing that you'll see on that list is what's called a body scan. So you uh, turn, like walk a couple steps to the body scanner right nearby. It's a beautiful piece of hardware um, that allows us to get like, I don't know, hundreds of data points in the over the course of about two or three minutes. Mm -hmm. So we're gathering tons of key information about your vitals, your weight, your height, your temperature, different readings about your um, heart rate and heart rate variability. So there's a ton of things I can learn about your cardiovascular system, about um, sort of the key baseline, if you will, for your physical body, uh, just by standing on this body scanner and having all that data gathered immediately. Okay. So from there, we take all that data and we stream it into an exam room. So you'll be greeted as a patient, you'll be greeted by your doctor, they'll walk you into the exam room. And once you're there, there's a huge touch screen in the exam room, um, which might seem kind of weird, but I really want to have a collaborative experience between you and the doctor. I don't want a doctor sitting there typing notes behind their computer, occasionally telling you the things that you need to do differently. I want them to actually invest the time to teach you about your body, about what's going on and what matters to you and what doesn't. So they're pulling in data from that body scan. We would have also done a blood draw by now. Okay. And so um, one thing that's kind of interesting to think about is for a blood draw in a typical doctor's office, the doctor's like, hey, I wanna do a blood draw because I'm worried about your kidney function. And you're like, well, now I'm worried about my kidney function. Like, let's talk about this. And the doctor says, I can't talk about it because I gotta send it off to some other lab. Just assume you're fine unless I like call you. <laughs> and it's like, well, that's a terrible experience. Right. I kind of want to talk about this now. I definitely don't believe you're going to call me or yeah. that I'm going to check my voicemail. So now you've created like tons of stress for me. So Ford looked at that and said, that's a terrible experience. I live or die on whether my experience is good. Remember, my members pay me directly. Mm -hmm. So we said, build a lab in the back, process their results in 12 minutes and stream that data onto the huge touchscreen so they can talk through it together in real time. Another sort of data we'd gather. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Did you know you said 12 minutes to do a blood yeah. analysis? Yeah. Why does it take like weeks on end? Is it because of the whole shipping and all that nonsense? Yeah. So the actual testing itself is correct. Pretty pretty quick. Correct, and that's that's true of um, you know some not all types of blood work that one would do. But sure. for the most common things that we want to actually track and understand how they're changing over time, it can be done incredibly quickly. People don't choose to do it incredibly quickly because they are not paid by their members; they're paid by insurance. 
And they're like, well, do I want to build a lab in the back that costs me a lot of money? Not if insurance isn't going to give me a billing code for it. So they just ignore it. They don't care that it's the right experience. They don't care that it's obvious as soon as I say it, you lit up and you're like 12 minutes, what's going on? Yeah. Anybody could do this, but they don't for two reasons. One, they have the wrong incentives. And two, they don't have the product team. They don't have the ability to like take all this data and pull it into an experience that actually like makes it all work to rebuild the entire electronic medical record from scratch. So everything that you think about that I say here that sounds obvious, there's a very clear reason people don't do it. They have the wrong product and they have the wrong incentives. So you get all this data together, including your genetics. We would take a genetic sample and literally, instead of guessing based on your family tree, what's going to happen to you, just go get the genome, like go observe the mutations. And to the extent that humanity understands what it means, tell this person, this means you have a higher risk of heart disease or a higher risk of breast cancer or whatever it might be. There are some of these mutations we do understand very well. There's a whole bunch yep. we don't. We're going to continue to unlock those over time. And so you take all this data, you talk through this case with the person on this smart screen in the exam room, and then we create what are called plans. So these plans are essentially like the thing that you and I agree is worth doing to try to help you live a longer, better version of your life. So maybe one of them is around trying to improve your heart health. And as you can imagine, I'm not going to stop here in the doctor's office. I've used this moment to try to build a shared understanding of your health and your goals and really get yeah. you invested. But most of your health is going to happen right here on your phone. So we send you home with a plan which shows up on your phone. We send you home with a blood pressure cuff that allows us to take readings and stream them back to forward. We can show you a graph of how it's changing. We can give you encouragement if it's working. We can give you uh, maybe some feedback if it's not. And the idea that the doctor goes home with you and allows you to sort of make progress on what matters to you um, is, is sort of a key part of the experience and how we can be proactive on the issues that matter. So again, this is not gonna do justice to what it actually feels like to be on that body scanner or in that exam room. But that's the sort of key idea of how we can create a set of plans that really matter to this user and then follow home with them to deliver on those over time. No, I, I mean, I think you did a great description, not that I've seen the facility yet, but, um, I, you know, it, it touches on a number of things that, again, the, playing the gap in the existing model of the personalization, not just on the assessment of like the science of me, but also the engagement with the doctor which oftentimes is, you know, you hear a lot of times, uh, you know, bedside manner is really not, one, it's not really taught. And then two, it just doesn't seem to exist because it's working off the data sheet and that's it and fixing it through some kind of prescription rather than understanding and to be, it. To be fair, a lot of those doctors are being forced to do five minute interactions with their patients because they're mm -hmm. getting paid by an insurance company based on the number of bills they generate in a given day. And so their hospital administrator or the person who runs saying, hey, I know you might want to spend more time and be more empathetic and really land this point, but you don't have time because if you, mm -hmm. if you cut in half the number of people you serve today, you cut in half our revenue. Yeah. And that's, that's an incentive that's not acceptable to me. So like our doctors spend 40, 50, 60 minutes with people in that first visit because they are not being pushed by insurance to move fast. They're beholden to delivering a great experience and really helping someone improve their health. It's just a very different incentive. You know, and you make it, that's a great distinction on, you know, it's the system that's being worked, not the people in it, sure. that the people, as anyone I've ever met, they have a similar, you know, passion as you do. Totally. And they want to help people. They, they, they don't want to deal with the bureaucratic nonsense. Yeah. Um, you know, so it, it, it's an important distinction to make sure that, yeah, the doctors, nurses, and all those professionals out there are not uh, we're not dogging on them in any way, shape or form. No, they're doing heroics against the face of a bunch of things <clears throat> that are letting them down. The system is wrong. The incentives are wrong. The tools suck. And that's not the doctor's fault. They're doing amazing things with what he or she has been given. 
Um, and just to give you kind of a more personal version of this, I, I obviously agree with what you're saying here. I thought I was going to be a doctor for a long time. Like my, um, so the only reason that my family is here in the States is because my grandfather emigrated from the Philippines to the US to mm -hmm. be a primary care doctor. So he practiced in Maryland, which was like an hour or two south of where I grew up. And um, I, I thought it was like the coolest thing ever. I thought it was incredibly intellectually interesting. I thought it was incredibly emotionally rewarding. I saw the connection that his patients had to, to my grandfather and I thought that was beautiful. And yet when the time came and I asked him like, hey, I'm thinking about going pre-med, he and all the other doctors I knew told me not to do it um, wow. because they realized how broken the system was in which they practiced. So I, my starting point is doctors are incredible. What they've done with the tools they've been given is truly amazing to me. Yeah. Um, we've got to get their backs. Like we need to start to build a system that's actually up to the task and helps them fulfill their potential as providers and helps all of us live the lives that we, we should have had. So that's why when I was saying, imagine you're my doctor, I was clear to say no human that has ever existed is actually up to that job. It's not a reasonable thing to ask a person to do alone. Sure. So I totally agree with your comment there. And our doctors at Ford are incredible. They're amazing people. Um, and I'll tell you what, it is like a really rewarding experience for them to be able to work with a system that has the right incentives and has tools that make them look like superstars. Yeah. I was wondering, I don't know if you can even speak to this, but like what it's like to, when, when a doctor coming from the legacy system into what you've created, um, what their like culture shock is like, uh, yeah. comparatively, I'm sure there is one. Yeah. I mean, I'd say, uh, I would say a couple of things. One, like we obviously are looking for people who are, are comfortable with and really want change in this system. So the first thing is like, you're not going to hire the person who's like, I, I still really want to use paper charts and uh, I don't really believe in change. I've only got a couple of years left. Like I'm not going to try to invest in making these changes. Sure. It's not a great fit for forward. Um, so we hire people who we think are really smart, who are great doctors first and foremost, because they're the ones serving our, our members but then who also are like excited about change. And, and frankly, most doctors actually are. They, they are very smart system thinkers because they have to understand the whole system of the human body. They mm -hmm. understand that the system in which they practice medicine is broken. They know that the fact that insurance is dictating how they practice medicine is unethical. They know the fact they only get five minutes with each of their patients is horrible. They know the fact that like there is no incentive to help somebody change their diet or their exercise to actually live a longer, better life is really bad. Yeah. So when you, and by the way, the fact they spend a third of their day typing notes into a, uh, an electronic medical record is essentially a glorified claims agent for an insurance company. All of this stuff tears at them. And so when you show them an alternative where it's like, don't take any notes, I'll scribe that automatically for you during the visit. You just sit there and talk to your member and uh, we'll take care of the administrative work. They love that. So oh, there's sorry. a microphone with like an AI recording for transcription? That's right. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, why is a doctor sitting there typing up all those notes? Yeah. Again, yeah. that's crazy in the world in which we live today. It made a lot of sense back in the 1980s or 1990s, but it makes no sense now. You're talking to some like AI sitting on your countertop like all the time or in your car or wherever you happen to be. Um, we should give doctors those cutting edge tools. Yeah. So we tell them, hey, you're not gonna have to type notes the whole time. You're not gonna worry about billing codes. You're just gonna worry about whether you made that person in front of you feel special and feel like you care about and are helping them live a longer, better life. It's an amazing proposition. And by the way, we're going to make you look awesome because you, you, the doctor can follow up with them every single day. 
Like you're going to check their blood pressure readings every day. We'll do it automatically for you using a bot. We'll see if it's going up or down. We'll send some sort of encouragement. We'll be able to triage all these things for you automatically. You're taking huge load off of the doctor and helping them focus on what matters. And you're extending their ability into this person's day-to-day -day life in a way that's not possible as a human alone. So by the time you say all those things to somebody, there's not a culture shock in a bad way. They're just shocked that this product exists and that they didn't have it where they were before. Yeah. And it's almost like, you know, uh, I've been seeing it and looking into it myself as health coaching and the evolution of that. And because it's been a stopgap, not that it won't be needed, you know, assuming this type of model were, were to explode, but, um, you know, it's a gap because there's no one, the doctor does the doctor thing. And then, then you go home and that's where the human behavior that you're talking about really in the rubber meets the road of trying to transform our health is really living the lifestyle to mitigate those you know, back-end issues and enabling a doctor to actually be kind of a health coach slash doctor or really what was intended to be a doctor as a health coach and enable people to, to grow and work with them. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, if you think about what a doctor is, like for a second, just decompose a doctor through the eyes of an engineer. This is not how I would talk to them as a human, but it's like, well, they're kind of doing five things. <clears throat> we need a doctor's brain, we need their brand, we need their empathy, we need their hands, and we need their senses. And by the time you describe it that way, it's like you can kind of start to see where we're going with this stuff, right? Yeah. Technology will be very good at some of those things. I think the brain of a doctor over time will be a deep neural net. You look at the cutting edge algorithms that are being produced today at places like Google, where I came from, and it's like there is more than enough compute to be able to handle if you just gave the system the right data. The mm -hmm. data of healthcare so far has been terrible, but if you build the system that we are, that is intended from the very beginning to teach computers medicine, you will get the brain of a doctor in a deep neural net over time. The brand of a doctor really should come down to, uh, instead of saying, this person has a license and therefore I trust them with every decision, go build a product that should be trustworthy. A really interesting analogy here is think about self-driving. Like uh, so far, historically, we've basically said this person took a driver's test when they were 18 years old. They passed some verbal or like written questions. They did a couple parallel park jobs. And now I give them a certificate that says every decision I think they'll make on the road for the rest of their life will be a good one. I'm like, that's not true. Humans are terrible drivers. Like we're very distracted. Like we fall asleep sometimes. Like we, we sometimes are just way too confident or whatever. Um, so it's like, that's kind of a crazy model. And what you're going to move to in this world with self-driving cars is don't certify the driver, certify the product certify the self-driving system of Tesla or whoever it ends up being, that would be a much more reasonable world to live in. And so the analogous should be true here, build a product that actually engenders trust, that shows that it understands what it's doing, it shows you its work. That's a really cool thing you could imagine doing in technology over time. Um, the hands and the senses of a doctor, the hands will be robotics over time. The senses will be sensors. They're literally called sensors. It's going to be the camera from your phone and the microphone from your phone. And maybe that like blood pressure cuff on your arm and the sensor in your bed. All those things are incredible. They're in fact superhuman in terms of their ability to understand your day-to-day -day life. And what you're left with, if you think about the five things I said, is empathy. I think the mm -hmm. empathy of a human being will take a very long time to be replaced. I think that is the thing that, yeah. for example, you're talking about coaching. Coaching is about making a human connection with another person helping them understand the data, helping them understand the probabilities and say, look, practically, it really feels like we need to get unblocked on this issue if you want to do follow through with these changes and live a better version of your life. So I think there will be an amazing combination of humans and technology for a very long time. And I think your comments on, on health coaching remind me of this idea that like, I think that that connection between humans will take a very long time to go. But like, think of all the things you can take off the doctor's plate along the way that will make it more affordable, more scalable and higher quality than what is possible with a very bespoke brilliant, expensive human being at the center of the system today.
Yeah, absolutely. And just, you know, you, to the point of technology, being able to compute the information that just it, in, in a matter of seconds, uh, where historically too, uh, it, it didn't, it took much, much longer. Even if you had the technology in place and the systems you're talking about integrating, it still would have taken longer and et cetera. But now we're at this interesting point of, like you said, the neural networks, the, the, the core backbone of things and the compute capability and actually making sense of what's in those data lakes too, and being able to use it now. And we've got all this information and the systems are starting to catch up to be able to, to leverage that in a way that's meaningful and impactful to, because to your point at the beginning of this, you know, we only have one life. Uh, so we get one chance and it's not really ideal to be in pain all the time or irritable or not feeling great. And that's what's you're, you're ultimately solving is that is, is that low grade chronic issue that isn't addressed currently, or at least not in a cohesive way. Totally. I mean, I think it should run the gamut. I think what you said is right. totally correct. We should solve the low grade chronic issue that like is actually degrading from somebody's quality of life their entire <clears> life. <throat> I agree with you. We should also do heart surgery someday. Yeah. There's also deliver babies someday. Like if you think about it, all these things at some point should be rebuilt correctly as though we'd known computers were coming. Because if you use the example of heart surgery, it's like, okay, well, heart surgery is like a pretty crazy product if you think about it. Like right now, um, if you needed to get heart surgery, it probably costs like $200,000. I actually don't know the insurance-based rates because I don't deal with it, but it's like, it would cost an insane amount of money, $200,000. Um, and if you think, so if you start thinking about why it's like, okay, imagine comparing that product to like this one, you've got the sum knowledge of humanity in your pocket, every second of your life for like $200, depending on where you buy it, not $200,000. And if you literally just said, okay, um, imagine there's an alien that lands on earth and they're like, Hey, I don't know anything about humans or what's going on here, but show me your two products and I'll decide which one of the prices. So they look at this iPhone and like, wait, this thing has like virtual reality chips. It has like. Uh, you know, unbreakable glass on it. It's got like all the knowledge of humanity ever stored on that thing. That thing seems amazing. Well, talk to me about this other thing. What's heart surgery all about? And I'm like, well, there's a human that stands over me with a butcher knife. They cut me open. It's like such a dangerous procedure. There's a whole bunch of other humans in the room just standing there trying to help keep me alive. And like one of them's on the anesthesia, trying to make sure they get the right levels. One of them's got a crash kit in case I go down. Um, and by the way, the cut is so big that everyone's worried I'm going to get infected and die. So they have us in a clean room, essentially wearing bunny suits. Um, and then even if I get out of that, I'm gonna have to rehab for like six or 10 months or whatever. And it's like, okay, one of these costs $200,000. One of them costs 200. Which one do you think it is? And the aliens can be like, no way that that barbaric product you just described is um, a thousand times more expensive. It doesn't make any sense, except that we both know one of them is a labor service and one of them is a technology product. And that's why their costs and their quality and their scalability are so wildly different. So my point is that even in something like heart surgery, you know where this is going to go over time. I'm not saying tomorrow. But someday that surgery will be done using robotics. It's going to be done by tiny little nanobots that are injected into your body. They're going to course through your vasculature, guided by the hand of every surgery that has ever been done in human history. It's going to have perfect precision in terms of what it cut and what it didn't. Um, the injection will be so small that you're not going to need to, like, I don't know, be in a bunny room doing this surgery or you're going to lay up for a week trying to recover from it. It's going to be like, yeah, do that and move on. We fix the small things inside of you that need to be repaired. Keep going on with your day. And if you think about it, it will be massively more affordable, right? The marginal cost of that surgery is the cost to charge the electricity for the nanobots. It's like nothing. And so it'll be incredibly affordable. The quality will be insane because it's taking the union of every surgery that has ever been done in human history and learning from it and then executing precisely. 
And then it's incredibly more scalable and accessible than what we have today. The only reason you and I can even contemplate getting a crazy $200,000 surgery is because we're lucky enough to live in San Francisco and Washington, DC, and we happen to live near one of these very smart, rare, expensive human beings. Mm -hmm. Even in some small village in Africa, you don't have such a luxury. You have a heart attack and you die. So my point is that you can also solve that problem by saying, I'm going to put this into something that is infinitely more scalable, more affordable, and sort of more replicable over time. So I agree with you that we should be working on trying to solve the sort of chronic preventative conditions of our day-to-day lives. I also think we should be able to solve the acute and really sort of like in uh, high leverage moments in life. All these things can be done better if you had just known computers were coming. Yeah. So um, hopefully that gives you sort of a, a bigger picture in terms of what we want to go after. I want to rebuild all of healthcare. Small feet. That's all, you know, little things, little things in life. Uh, no, that it's pretty, pretty amazing. Um, so the insurance part, you kind of mentioned already, but touch on that real quick is how are you going to get to the insurance free piece or the, or it is insurance free service to the some point free. How do you envision that happening? Yeah. So, so yeah, you're correct. We are insurance free already. Um, currently, uh, the price for Ford is $149 a month. Um, and so it's like, uh, that is a real amount of money. There's a lot of people in the world who can't afford that today. Mm-hmm. I would also say it's not crazy. Like it's about what you pay for your cell phone bill or for like your cable bill, if you're still doing that kind of the thing. Um, so it's like, it's, it's a, uh, a starting point, if you will. Right. Um, and what I would say is two things. First of all, even at that starting point, people are surprising me in ways I would not have guessed. Like I had assumed that like people would generally be pretty well off. They're choosing this in addition to their nice insurance provided by their, their uh, employer or whatever. And it's true, like about two thirds of our users of Ford do have a good insurance plan, but a third of our users have no insurance at all. So it's like, well, that's crazy to me because those are actually very different users. They uh, oftentimes have been laid off or they're in between work. Their backs are against the wall financially and yet they're choosing forward. So that's very interesting to me because what it tells me is even in the short term, there's a very broad set of people who see forward as being for them. So that's the short term. And then over the long term, you kind of know where I'm going with all this. I've alluded to it a couple of times, but let's make it explicit. Uh, I want to build healthcare so that it's not on a labor cost curve. It's on a technology cost curve. Mm -hmm. And if that's true, then what I'm saying is my prices are going to come down over time. Uh, more specifically, I should say, my costs will come down over time. As my costs come down, I will walk my prices down from 149 to 99 to 49. Like if this is true, it's a huge deal. And so the key thing that I've learned over the last five years of, of forward is it's true. We've ripped out like three quarters of the cost of our product. There is insane technical leverage on this uh, product if you just don't die at the very beginning. So asking our consumers to pay us directly was a big risk, like no doubt. Yeah. Everyone that talked to us six years ago said, why would somebody pay for health insurance or like for healthcare? They think it's free. And I'm like, I hear you, but I definitely can't take money from insurance for all the reasons you and I talked about about 15 minutes ago. There's no way I can build this world I want to create with that as my incentive. And I'm willing to bet I can build a product good enough that some people, not a billion people, just some people will pay me $149 and kickstart my flywheel and get it spinning. And if they do, That flywheel is insanely powerful because if you think about it, we will be applying technology to something that is a deeply technical problem if you think about it. Healthcare and medicine, as we've been talking about it for this conversation, it's a super technical problem. If you can apply technology to that problem, you will lever the world. You will make it 10 times better. And to me, that means 10 times higher quality, 10 times lower cost, which is what we're talking about here, and 10 times more scalable. The idea that 5 billion people in the world have no doctor today is completely devastating to me. It's two thirds of humanity has no doctor. 
That's a tragedy, Gosh, but yeah. it is the obvious implication of what we built. We built a labor-driven healthcare system and there's no chance that will ever scale to those people in the world. So when I use these examples of saying there's somebody in Africa right now who doesn't have the luxury of getting heart surgery, I mean that very literally. And that's the problem I wanna go solve, which is why it's so important to say go insurance free and figure out a way to drive down that cost curve because you've got to get to zero to be able to serve the entire world over time. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's pretty amazing. You made me think of like the kind of an in-between where you were saying uh, kind of surprised by the, the zero insurance folks, but then there's a, there's a lot of folks in between that are kind of, I guess now recently is the gig economy, right? Or, or um, even realtors, right? Was the first thing that came to mind is like a lot of them are independently, you know, self-employed and you have to figure out how to do that. And, and the plans I'm aware of, which are still kind of based off of the old model or the existing model, you're paying four, five, six hundred $600 a month for totally. a, a party of five. And that's just for the service plan, not the actual, okay, if I go show up at the doctor's office. Yeah, look, I, t- I totally agree. I mean, everything you're saying makes a lot of sense. I just didn't realize that before we started forward, I was like, it's going to be even harder than that. I'm not going to get those yeah. people. Yeah. And I was like very pleasantly surprised that since that's day awesome. one, that's been true. And if you think about it, it all makes sense. It's like, okay, imagine you're somebody who is not as fortunate. They don't have a huge disposable income. And they're like, yep. how do I choose to spend my hard earned money? I have two options. One, and I can speak to California. I don't know the, obviously the plans as well out there, but it's like in California, you can choose the bronze plan on the California exchange. That's the lowest level insurance plan. It's going to cost you probably 400 or $500 a month. It's somewhere in that vicinity. Let's say 500 for the sake of round math. So over the course of a year, I'll pay $6,000 to an insurance plan that gets me literally nothing. Like it only starts helping me after I get through another $8,000 of deductible. So now I'm out $14,000 uh, before I start getting any financial help from my insurance plan. Yeah. Or, yeah. I can, or I can pay, you know, $1,000 or $1,500 a year to forward. I can actually go work on all these issues that matter to me and not have to stress about like, you know, whether or not that like issue I have is going to work, turn out to be something worse. I can deal with all of those things. I totally get why they make the choice that they do, but like I could pay 10 times less and get 10 times more. Of course I would do that. And so, so then the really, the, so I, again, I get why people are making this decision. And then my job is to go rebuild all of healthcare as fast as possible to help serve all these use cases that we don't currently cover. So it's like, I don't do heart surgery yet. I want to get there as fast as I can to help make that person um, uh, like whole on everything they could have possibly gotten from insurance. Yeah. And that's why it's so important to me to have a very strong technical foundation. <clears throat> if you want to go rebuild all of healthcare, you have to start to re-architect this entire system as though you were going after all of healthcare 10 times better. You'd go mm-hmm. build this like a technology product. You would not build it as a bespoke labor service. If you do that, you get what we have today. You'd build it as a technology product. And if you think about it, one of the cool things that we learned back at Google, so Adrian, my co-founder, and I worked together at Google, and uh, I mentioned the 10 problems we worked on. Clearly, I'm not an expert in all 10 of those things. Like, there's no way I would be. I'm probably not an expert in any of them, frankly. But the cool thing is that if a problem is a technology product at the limit, the future looks a lot more like the future than that industry today. Hmm. So like the future of food looks more like the future than food today. Uh, The future of healthcare looks more like the future than health today. You already know all the properties of a truly great healthcare product because you've done a Google search, you like your smartphone, you use Amazon Prime, and you think Netflix gives you good recommendations. Truly great products look the same. So let's be sort of like uh, explicit about what I'm saying. Great products are proactive, not reactive. Mm -hmm. They are personalized. They are not generic. They are continuous. They are like with you every second of your life. They're not episodic. They don't happen once a year. 
They're objective, not subjective. They get better, not worse, the more people they serve. They get cheaper, not more expensive over time. All these things I'm saying are super obvious properties of a great product of the limit. You just got to go build it. And so a lot of these things that have seemed so intuitive to you during our conversation, it's because in the future, in a bunch of these other industries, you just don't happen to in healthcare today. And that's why it stands out like a sore thumb and yeah. why I'm so adamant about saying, rebuild the entire thing insurance-free as though we'd known computers were coming and you've got a chance to change the world. Well, and it's a great way to ask questions, you know, you know, and starting fresh really, and not come with any preconceived notions and, okay, what if we started with technology first and how do we solve all these things? So it's a very, very wise way to go about it. So, well, um, I appreciate your time insights. I know we could talk for much longer, but, um, uh, want to be respectful for time. So usually I close things out with a few questions, hot seat. So to speak. Um, okay, yeah. here we go. No pressure, no pressure. Uh, there's so what? Is there a tree behind me? Let's make sure we don't like set it on fire or anything. Okay, That's absolutely. Thanks. Uh, what are you reading right now? Um, I'm listening to a lot. Um, the thing I'm reading right now is actually one of my favorite books. Um, so it's called The Alchemist by Paulo Coelho, and. Um, it's, it's basically a story about a, a Spanish shepherd who follows his dream through the Egyptian desert. Uh, I won't spoil it for that. It's been out for 25 years. So like at this point, I'm probably not spoiling much, but uh, it's an awesome book. And I think the thing that really resonates with me is it's the story about somebody trying to sort of like identify their own purpose and meaning in life. Um, and then sort of like pursuing that um, often with the universe conspiring to help them accomplish it once they mm -hmm. become clear about what they want. Um, and obviously I see a lot of parallels to what I'm doing right now. Like startups are really hard and there's plenty of times that feel like a desert. Um, but I think I found my life's purpose. And we talked about that actually right up front about the evolution from, you know, the New York Mets to trying to rebuild healthcare. Yeah. I feel like I have a really clear purpose. Um, and it's inspiring to just read stories about somebody in pursuit of that. Um, so that's, that's what I'm working on right now. That's awesome. Uh, all right. So what are you listening to right now, be it music or podcast? <laughs> um well uh i was listening to the new kendrick album that's been pretty awesome um and then in terms of podcasts uh so i listen well i've been listening to a lot of basketball podcasts okay uh, we just finished with the nba uh playoffs um and the draft was just last night so i've been listening to that a lot um that helps me kind of unwind and then the other thing i've been listening to a lot is um stories about founders or maybe conversations with founders and other podcasts. Okay. Um, so I always find those really helpful. Uh, it can be pretty lonely. Like there's not a lot of people who are like in my friends or family that have, that have done what I'm doing. So sometimes it's helpful to just hear from others wrestling with some of the same problems. Yeah. Yeah. Find those virtual mentors to, to kind of help keep you going. Yeah. And, and obviously some of them are folks who are doing it right now and doing an amazing job and others are historical figures. And yeah. I don't know, like this one guy, um, uh, it basically takes the word founders very liberally. Uh, I got to listen to the life of Da Vinci and Michelangelo and artists and engineers that I inspired, inspired me for a long time ago. So, um, so yeah, I know I find that really helpful. Yeah, I'm sure. Well, I mean, it kind of goes back to your word on um, you mentioned earlier, just breaking paradigms, um, you know, and, and how you're doing it with Ford and finding those folks that kind of, you know, broke glass along the way. <laughs> um, so what is your go-to rest and recovery pod? Uh, rest and recovery method. 
Well, if I take that literally, um, I spent some time like a while ago trying to get my sleep thing like dialed in. Nice. So, uh, so I basically have like a mattress that cools my bed, uh, like a mattress pad that cools my bed down. Um, and I'm not fancy enough to get an eight sleep, but I know a lot of people are using that now. Yeah. I was going to ask, is it the Uller or, uh, yeah, it's like that, like cooler, like mattress pad thing. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of janky, but it gets the job done. Um, <laughs> And then I have like a heavy blanket. Uh, I have an eye mask, blackout curtains. So anyway, that's like my literal rest and recovery stuff. Nice. And then um, I did my first, uh, I did my first triathlon recently. Um, oh, cool. And so uh, that's been really awesome. And some of that has actually been learning how to train while building resilience. So I was like mm -hmm. a sprinter. And so all like endurance stuff is very foreign to me. Um, but like learning how to train in a way that's like actually easier effort, but as helping build your body's resilience uh, over time. And then I recover with like a Theragun, which I love. Yeah. Um, uh, or Normatec. So like these like leg squeezer things are pretty awesome yeah. with circulation. Um, and then, yeah, like the other big thing I spend time on and uh, it's always easier to do as I say and not as I do, but try to spend time like meditating um, and trying to do that every day because it just really helps me process the world in a more <laughs> sane way. Um, so, uh, so yeah, that's another thing that I try to focus on. Awesome. And then I hang, out, I hang out with my friends and family. They're ultimately uh, a great way to recover and to stay grounded. Yeah, all, all great things. Uh, I can appreciate the endurance piece. I, I haven't done a triathlon in a long time, so good for you. Uh, more on the uh, half marathon, marathon style things. But cool. yeah, um, love the Theragun. There's... Yeah, yeah. I was like, wow, this is so much more affordable than a, than a massage. <laughs> uh, yeah, but it's, it's great. It's really nice. I, I fly around with it all the time. And luckily, they're starting to recognize it more in airport security lines so that I don't have somebody like pulling me out every time. Like, what is this thing? And I was like, I even have to say it has gun in the name. I'm really sorry. Yeah, <laughs> it's not. It's <laughs> well, uh, thank you so much for your time and, and uh, really encouraged to hear about what you're doing, the mission uh, on, on what on its face looks like an unsolvable, but uh, clearly you guys are on the path to, to making it uh, solvable. And, and now not just like some fictitious years out. So look forward to seeing where you guys uh, grow to. Yeah. I mean, I think that's my biggest takeaway from the last six years is I'm shocked at how far we've come this quickly. Um, and to me, it's a really positive sign for anybody who wants to live in this insurance-free world that I'm describing, this world in which you can have an amazing doctor that's incredibly affordable. Like I, I dreamed of that six years ago. Um, I would not have expected us to make as much progress as we have already, but I, it's gonna happen. And I, again, I it's not just gonna be forward. There's a whole bunch of people that are working on this and that are heading in this direction. Okay. Um, and I think we got a lot of reasons to be optimistic here. Yeah, cool. Thank you, sir. Thank you. You're welcome. Great talk. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Rest and Recovery Podcast. Please share this information far and wide. Rate, review, would appreciate all of the support. Uh, and thank you so much for listening. Uh, you can also check out episodes on any of your favorite podcast platforms, such as Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Or you can check out the website at www.berestedbewell.com. Thanks and have a great day.